0: Good morning everyone. You're listening to Here's the Issue with me, Reese. All right guys, so we got a um well, quite a biggie coming up for this first story. I want to talk about um the whole controversy regarding uh parents attending school board meetings being domestic terrorists. Um so basically the little intro for you all. Parents have been being labeled as domestic terrorists um for being angry at school board meetings. Um, and this started off with like, there's a um, like a letter, there was a letter circulating about it, and then a bit of confusion about whether or not this was like an official stance from the government. And so I want to clear that all up and get, uh, get right down to it. So this started with the National School Board Association sending a letter to Joe Biden begging for government help in, uh, to counter parents it wanted labeled as domestic terrorists. Um. So yeah, that's a lot to unpack there, that the National School Board Association sent a letter to Joe Biden, where they really, they begged and begged him to let the government help them counter parents who they thought were being domestic terrorists, essentially for speaking out against man- mask mandates and the teaching of critical race theory. Now, um, I think it's important enough that I'm actually going to go through and read you parts of the letter. Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I am going to get... um quite a bit of it in. So I want to start out, this is how, this is how it opens, okay? The first line in this letter from the um, National um, School Board Association is, America's public schools and its educational leaders are under an immediate threat. And I just want to say, like, wow. Um, uh, Under immediate threat. Is that really truthful? Do, Do you really think that You know, all the school board members, all of them are just under threat. I mean, it's just so horrible. school board members are the exactly last job you'd want to have. They're under immense and immediate threat. I mean, let's be on here. This is already an exaggeration. The next line then reads, The National School Board Association respectfully asks the federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats and violence and threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. So it the letter literally opens up with the NSBA National School Board Association asking Joe Biden um to mobilize law enforcement to assist with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. Um so, there's a lots, lot to unpack there. So, one, the, school, the National School Board Association is, is just directly asking the federal government to intervene with what normally is not handled by the federal government. Threats and acts of violence, you know, on a local level are really not in the federal government's purview. But the National School Board Association wants to essentially federalize the enforcement um, of like anti threat laws and such. But, so I ask this, why couldn't the state government do this? You know, state governments handle acts of intimidation, violence, threats, all the time. I see no reason why state governments could not handle this. Oh yeah, it's because it's purely political. And right now, the federal government is, um, where they're being favored. Not the state governments. Not in Florida and Texas are they being encouraged by the state government to, um, essentially, um, fourth mask mandates and critical race theory. If Trump had won the election, this letter never would have been sent out. They never would have called in the federal government to enforce this because they know it's purely political. Um, And I, I bet you that if Trump had won election and any of this stuff was happening in school boards in like rural places in democratic states like New York or California, then the state school boards state School Board Association will be stepping in and begging the state governments to do something about it so it's purely political and they're just going to try to find who's going to basically give them what they want so uh, this is a little this is the start of the next paragraph the NSBA believes immediate assistance is required to protect our students school board members and educators so here you have the use of immediate. Like, again, immediate right now. This is a common thread throughout the entire letter, is that the school boards are currently now just under attack, immediate. It's urgent. It's pressing. It's unhandleable. As well, I, w- I want to talk about this common thread that also goes throughout the um the letter. Is So first, they mention students. They say that the uh, they need this assistance to protect our students. I mean, come on now. This is just propaganda. By putting students first, it makes those—it implies to those reading the letter that students are facing threats and acts of violence and intimidation from angry parents. No, it's the school board members. But instead, they put the students first when it's not really happening at all in order to imply that students are being threatened. That way, it's meant to propagandize you and convince you to support what they're doing and to support the idea that what they're doing is reasonable. Here's the end of that paragraph. Many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within the classroom instruction and curricula. The propaganda, though this propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools and remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of a K-12 class. But That was a lot that was basically them claiming that um crt critical race theory is not taught in schools and so all the parents that decry it are crazy is essentially what they were saying there um this is a flat-out lie i mean let's just be honest um so crt claims that structures in america are systemically racist um and without a doubt some schools claim this you know they might not be teaching it in the way it gets taught in a graduate level law theory class But the general premise and ideas purported by CRT are being taught in schools. And, you know, they might be able to claim that, oh, a majority of schools don't teach this, but there are still schools that teach it. And to claim that no school teaches it is a flat-out lie. And if when they say no schools teach it, they mean few schools teach it, well, then in that case, they're manipulating the language. I also want to point out, you know, they, they try to obfuscate By saying, oh, it's a legal theory. We don't teach a legal theory. It's too complex. But like I just said, yeah, you aren't teaching it in like the legally scholarly way, but you're teaching the basic tenets and principles of it. Um. And, you know, even if it wasn't exactly CRT, regardless, some schools are still teaching that like, white people are irredeemably bad no matter what, and that black people can never succeed because of the um the hurdles put in front of them from systemic racism. And that's just, that's just not true. It's also not a good thing to be teaching kids. It's not a good thing to tell black kids every day that they'll never be able to succeed because of the racism brought on um, by white Americans. All it does is convince you know black people that they can't succeed. It causes, essentially it actually causes like worsening of race relations. I mean, if you're black and every day you get told The white person is going to prevent you from succeeding whenever all the time no matter what wouldn't you hate white people i mean that would be a logical conclusion if i was being told every day that one race is systemically keeping down my race i mean that that why why wouldn't you then hate that race you're gonna say oh like you can't teach that one race is inherently bad and then also not expect like racist thought based on that um and so when, when schools are teaching this, it's counterproductive, um, and it's not helpful for kids. And it shouldn't be taught. Because you know what? Like, at this point, they're playing word games. You know, they're, school boards are saying that schools are innocent because, oh, we're not teaching CRT. But it, it's still bad, and parents don't want it. And it's just word games, and you know it's word games. Because if parents called it something else, and they just said, oh, we don't want that, the schools wouldn't all of a sudden go, oh, yeah, we don't have CRT, but we have that thing. We'll get rid of it, just like you asked. No, instead, parents are saying, we don't like when you're doing this. And then they say, it's critical race theory. The school board goes, no, we're not teaching critical race theory. No, no. But even even if it's not critical race theory, it's still bad. And it's not like parents are just showing up and saying, oh, I don't like critical race theory. They're showing up and saying, I don't like when you do X, it's critical race theory. And even if they're wrong about it being critical race theory, it's still bad, you know? Parents still see their kids work and they see the propaganda that's put in front of their kids and they talk to their kids and they come back and they say, we don't like X, get rid of it. And instead, the school board just try to obfuscate and they try to shove blame elsewhere and to cover their own butts. And speaking about covering butts, here is the, another line in the letter. The NSBA appreciates your leadership. To end the proliferation of COVID nineteen in our communities and our school districts. And since it's is a letter to Joe Biden, obviously the your refers to Joe. But I mean, what what peak butt kissery? The NSBA appreciates your leadership to end the proliferation of COVID nineteen in our communities and our school districts. Jeez. Anyway, here's another line from it, but a paragraph down. Now we ask that the federal government investigate, intercept, and prevent the current threats and acts of violence against our public school officials through existing statutes, executive authority, interagency governmental task forces, and other extraordinary measures. Wow. What what a juicy sentence. Um so this again, directly calling on government action. I'm just saying, oh, we think you should consider doing something about this. We want direct action. Um again, just propaganda. Um, it continually mentions, you know, these acts of violence. Um to make you think there are a lot. You know, they say threats and acts of violence. Just like the saying students first to imply, you know, all these threats are going towards kids and that you should care about the kids. You know, most people most people do not support acts of violence, you know. And so they put in the acts of violence to go to associate acts of violence with these other actions to say, oh, I don't like threats of violence. Therefore, I don't like these other things going on. Um, But again, it's just propaganda. How many acts of violence have you guys actually heard? As well, what about these threats they keep mentioning? Are these real, specific, credible threats like, I'm going to kill you in your sleep, or I hate you so much I'm going to burn your house down? Or are these more generic things like, you better not make my kid wear a mask, I and before anyone tries to claim that's not a threat, I have had numerous people claim things like that are a threat, saying, You better not do X or you will be upset if you do X or Um You're not gonna like what I do when I do if you do X. I've heard many, many times people try to claim buller threats. And I have no reason to think that um NSBA would not also claim those are threats, especially because it's people like them that like to claim threats in the first place. And I think down in our hearts, we all know this as well, we know that most of these threats probably are not credible. And while there's probably are, you know, some people that do take it too far, you know, not not, not like every single person is doing this when, they're, when the NSBA is trying to pan it out as it is. As well... They mentioned extraordinary measures. Holy crap! Extraordinary measures against, like, what? You know, basically, credible threats are already a crime. Acts of violence are already a crime. So if the people are committing acts of violence and credible threats, then they can be punished like normally. Why do we need extraordinary measures to punish them? Why can't it be treated like every other threat and act of violence? Why? Why? Why do they need special punishment? Oh. Because it's political. Because, you know, if I just threaten to kill any old person on the street, that's okay. But when I threaten to kill someone who's purporting, you know, a policy I don't like, well, that's completely unacceptable and outside of the realm. So you need to be especially punished. (laughs) I'm not trying to advocate for threatening to kill people. Like, that's bad. Like, that was the point of my analogy, was that irregardless of whether you do it for political or non-political reasons, you should not threaten to kill people. That's not good. But um, NSBA and many others are advocating for special punishments if you do it for reasons they don't like, for reasons they don't approve of. And that's worrisome. It is worrisome because it, if it happens, it sets up the concept that crimes can be punished differently based on um, the reasoning of like the individual. Especially the the political reasoning of the the person. And that's the first step on the way to having just straight-up political prisoners. Well, I wouldn't say the first step, but definitely one of the earlier steps on the way to just having flat-out political prisoners. Anyway, the next section here. Um, As these threats and acts of violence have become more prevalent during public school board meetings, via documented threats transmitted through the U.S. Postal Service, through social media and other online platforms, around personal properties wow so the news wants to craft this narrative of crazy republicans um so i want to say that if if more of these severe things so let's let's go back to the quote some of these things are more severe than others and so threats during public school board meetings like i said those are probably like you're not going to like it if you do x let's face it that's not severe that's normal but you know and like social media, like that sort of stuff happens all the time. The more severe threats is like around personal properties. You know, if I'm at a school board meeting and I tell um, one of the school board members, like, you aren't, you're, you, well, I don't want you to do X, okay? You shouldn't do X. I'm really mad. I'm going to be really mad if you do X. That has a different connotation than if I go to their front porch, knock on their door and say, I'm going to be really mad if you do X. You're not going to be happy if you do X. Those do have different connotations. Um, there's just no doubt about that. And obviously, you know, going on personal, someone's personal property to talk like that is more threatening. Um, and so it's more more serious. However, like I said, the news wants to craft a narrative. Then I want that narrative to be that there are crazy Republicans being domestic terrorists. Um... So if these more severe things happening, more severe than the things at the school board meetings, wouldn't they be in the news? Wouldn't you hear on the news that, like, school board members all across America are having their doors pounded on, protesting their front lawn, horse heads in their beds? No, all you hear about is um, a bunch of parents showing up to these school board meetings. And so I point this out to say that, like, if these more severe things would ha- were happening, we would hear about them. Instead, we're hearing about the least severe of all the things which is why I know that these more severe things are not happening as much. And the inclusion of them and the way they included them in this letter is, again, propaganda. They include, so they keep doing this throughout the entire letter. They include things that are kind of adjacent and they have a bit of overlap. Um, But in reality, one is happening much more often than the others, but they use the one that's happening the least um, to invoke a sense of feeling about the others. And so with the students, administrators and faculty I mean the students, administrators and educators, it was, you know, most of these threats are happening towards the school board. But they use the kids to say, oh, yeah, um, I don't I don't think we should be threatening kids or upset at kids. So let's this entire thing, you know, I agree with the NSBA. They do that with this. Oh, I don't think people should make acts of violence. Oh, I don't think they should, you know, be like on these school board members properties you don't think that and so then you end up agreeing with oh well maybe they shouldn't be making any of these so-called threats or they shouldn't be at the school board meetings being so angry that's the entire propaganda idea of the um of this letter essentially now this next uh line is kind of crazy here we also request the assistance of the u.s postal inspection service to intervene against threatening letters and cyberbullying attacks that has been transmitted to students, school board members, district administrators, and other educators. So you you heard that right. The assistance of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to intervene against threatening letters and cyberbullying. Um, since when does the Post Office deal with cyberbullying? Um, do you want the Post Office to deal with cyberbullying? I don't think they have the infrastructure to do that. As well, I don't want the government dealing with cyberbullying in the first place. That's just more government regulation that's just going to end up worse than it already is. And and why do they mention this? Since when did the post office deal with cyberbullying? Isn't this just kind of random? So next up, at the start of the next paragraph. As these acts of mal- malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, The classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. So there we go. The angry parents are domestic terrorists. That's it. They should be domestic terrorists for being angry at the school board. Also, they want to call it hate crimes? Like, if a bunch of white people kill a bunch of black people, I definitely see how that's a hate crime. But the only difference between, you know, the groups here... Are differences in political views, and so if you want to classify, you know, anger towards other groups over like political beliefs, the Democrats better be ready for all the Repu- all their harassment of Republicans to be hate crimes. Because um, let me tell you, as as much as you, well, there sure are a plenty, plenty of videos and talk just knocking Trump hats off people yelling and spitting at Republicans all the time, um, calling them racists and Nazis, even when their beliefs don't warrant that. Um, and so if they think that what the what's happening here are hate crimes, then those are definitely hate crimes as well. There's just no doubt about it. So here's one, another. This is, the, this is right after the hate crimes thing. As such, the NSBA requests a joint expedited review by the U.S. Department of Justice, Education, Homeland Security, along with the appropriate training, coordination, investigations, and enforcement mechanisms from the FBI, including any technical assistance necessary from, and state and local coordination with, its National Security Branch and Counterterrorism Division, as well as any other federal agency with relevant jurisdictional authority and oversight. So what we basically saw right there is just more government, more and more government. We need more agencies, more interagency cooperation, more interagency councils and committees. We need more people to be hired to coordinate with more people. You now, that's the issue with um, with like one of the issues with the organization of the bureaucracy is that there are so many different agencies that do so many similar things they have to have so many cross-agency agencies essentially to coordinate between each other and it just adds in more bureaucracy and more red tape and you know why they don't get rid of it because that means less government jobs which sucks for them because they're the government and they want more government jobs to hand out to people now this is right after that additionally the nsba requests that such a review examine appropriate and enforceable actions against these crimes and acts of violence under the Gun-Free School, Act, Gun-Free School Zones Act, the Patriot Act, in regard to domestic terrorism, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act, the violent interference with federal protected rights statute, the conspiracy against rights statute, and executive order to enforce all applicable federal laws. Um, again, you know, um, these parents are all domestic terrorists. You know, they mentioned the Patriot Act in here, too. I mean, we want to use the Patriot Act. One of the worst laws ever. Okay, here's another thing. As the threats grow and news of extremist hate organizations showing up to school board meetings is being reported, this is a critical time for a protective approach to deal with these this difficult issue. I mean, at this point, they're really living in, like, a different reality. Hate organizations going to school board meetings? I don't think the Klan went to any. Um, and so, so, so what? You know, Facebook groups, Moms Against Mandates, Mamas Against Masks. Is that your hate organizations? That's who's showing up. That's your hate organizations? Okay. So this next section is basically a list of, like, crimes committed, I guess. Um, And I'm going to read them to you and go through them. um, Because some of them, one, these are all just absolutely cherry-picked data. You know, nothing really brought about this. Um, They just cherry-picked data. And and when you cherry-pick data across a nation of 300 million people, I mean, obviously someone's going to commit a crime. There's just no doubt about it. There's going to be someone who's desperate enough or crazy enough to commit a crime. So I just want to say that. As well, I want to say that some of these are misconstrued, Um, again, so, like, they're really not as bad as they make them out to be, but some are, some are definitely actually wrong. Like, you're gonna read some of these, some of these are messed up, some of these shouldn't have been done, done, some of these people, you know, should face, you know, some repercussions for this. Um, but at the same time, like, you have to remember that school board gets, gets threats all the time, every year, you know, they can get hate mail for changing bus schedules, because it makes someone a bit late to work, you know? And so... You know, it's just that this is what's in the news, this is what the pressing matter is, so this is what they're getting, you know, slack for now. But every year school boards get schlack, um, so let's, just not, let's not forget that. Uh, so I'm going to start this section. These threats, or actual acts of violence against our school districts, are impacting the delivery of educational services to students and families, as many districts receive federal funds and subsidies. For services to millions of students with disabilities, health screenings, and supplemental supports for disadvantaged students, child nutrition, broadband connectivity, educator development, school safety activities, um, career and technical education, and more. School board meetings have been disrupted in California, Florida, Georgia, and other states of local directives for mask coverings to protect students and educators from COVID-19. Okay, so here's where it starts, pretty much. An individual was arrested in Illinois for aggravated battery and disorderly conduct during a school board meeting. Okay. During two separate school board meetings in Michigan, an individual yelled a Nazi salute in protest to masking requirements. Okay, this is like, okay, this, like, the dude's not a Nazi. I mean, you have to be, he's not saying, like, who just shows up and it's like, ah, yes, I'm a Nazi at a school board meeting. Yippee. No, he's obviously like implying they're, because he's saluting them with the Nazi salute. He's implying that they are Nazis for what they do. That's not a threat. That's not a hate crime. That's social commentary. Um, That guy is normal. That guy's just a normal guy who's just mad and thinks they're Nazis. And he has a flair for the dramatic. I mean, that's all I can say. Um, And another individual prompt Prompted the board to call a recess because of opposition to critical race theory. This just, this means nothing. Another individual prompted the board to call a recess. Okay. So what? Was he, I mean, a lot of things could happen. He could literally be killing someone at the most severe, and that prompted a recess. He could be just yelling incessantly and just preventing them from conducting business, and they just prompted a recess. Some school boards are really just cowards, and at the face of any um, obstruct, any um, opposition, they just call a recess and hope the parents don't show up in a month. You know what I mean? And so it literally could have just been that. he could have been said, like, I don't support this. They could have just called a recess so they didn't have to listen to him and come back in a month. That literally could have happened. All three of those situations were things that could have happened. Um, but they don't specify in this because they just want to propagandize you. Um uh... In New Jersey, Ohio, and other states, anti-mask opponents are inciting chaos during school board meetings. If, I don't know how many of you have been to school board meetings, but I spent about the past three years of my life going to my local school board meeting. Anytime the school board does something controversial, there is chaos in the meetings. Saying there is chaos in the meetings is like saying that someone is filibustering something in the Senate. Someone is always filibustering something in the Senate. Whenever anything important happens in the Senate, someone is filibustering. Um. In fact, you know something important is going on in the Senate when there is a filibuster essentially going on by how much they filibuster. The fact that there's chaos at school board meetings just means that something is something, happening. You can't point to that and say, wow, there's chaos at school board meetings and therefore They're domestic terrorists, and therefore we have to get the entire federal government on the back of all these parents. That's just not logical. It's okay okay for school boards to be chaotic, you know? School boards are one of the most localized forms of government. They're supposed to have, you know, like, the easiest way for individuals to participate. And when people participate, it gets chaotic. That's just all there is to it. In Virginia, an individual was arrested. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks for the help. Don't know what that was for. The dude literally, I, depending on the state, you know, we saw in Wyoming just last week, um, some girl got arrested for not wearing a mask. For all we know, he was just not wearing a mask and they arrested him. Um, and so that's just so unhelpful. Another man was ticketed for trespassing. Okay, well, that like, I see this. And so if he was trespassing, then it wasn't a school board meeting. Because school board meetings are open to the public. And so you can't trespass on a school board meeting. So it wasn't a school board meeting then. Um, And they want to say, like, okay, well, they also talk about, like, threats and stuff. Like, okay, trespass on the school? Trespassing on the school? Or were they trespassing um, on, like, uh, a school board member's house? Because trespassing on a school board member's house in the middle of the night is pretty severe. Um, But also, if it's, like, in the day and he's knocking your door trying to talk to you, And you just call the policing them arrested for trespassing, that's also different, you know what I mean? So the lack of specificity. Especially when they're trying to craft a narrative that makes them look bad. You'd think that if if the person had like trespassed, if he had broken into like a school member's home, they would have said that. Because that's like the worst case scenario that helps them. So because they're trying to craft this narrative, but they don't go there, we know that it's actually probably not as bad as they make it out to be. Um, so anyway. And a third person, because we're still in Virginia, was hurt during a school board meeting discussion distinguishing current curricula from critical race theory and regarding equity issues. So the third guy was just hurt during a school board meeting. Okay, how? He tripped and broken his leg. They didn't specify. And they just said he was hurt and the meeting was about curriculum, about critical race theory. Okay, thanks for the implication, but you didn't actually connect the two. The dude could've tripped, the dude could have gotten a fist fight. He could have gotten a fist fight with just someone else not regarding that, you know. You show up there and your neighbor, you're having a property dispute there is there, and you guys start arguing, you might have a fisticuff there, you get hurt. You couldn't show up in this article. This article, that's this letter. The lack of specificity is disturbing. Um, in other states, including Washington, Texas, and Wisconsin, Wyoming, Tennessee. School boards have been confronted by angry mobs and forced to end meetings abruptly. Okay, um qualify, quantify, angry mobs. What what do you mean by that? Cause I bet what what an what means an angry mob to me is not what you consider an angry mob. Uh to you, angry mob might just be, you know, ten people that are a bit rowdy. And you know, like I said before, school boards just have a tendency just to End their meetings whenever they feel like it, because they don't want to deal with the public. I mean that that literally means nothing when they say that. This next one. A resident in Alabama who proclaimed himself as vaccine police has called school administration while filming himself on Facebook Live. Okay, is it a crime to call Facebook I mean, call school administrators? Um Also vaccine police makes it sound like he's pro vaccine. I'm just gonna say that, because like the grammar police are, like, very, like, focused on, like, having good grammar. So when you say, like, vaccine police, but I, I don't think that's what he was doing, based on this letter. But irregardless. Yeah. Okay. Other groups are, post, are posting watch lists against school boards and spreading misinformation that boards are adopting critical race theory curriculum and working to maintain online learning by haphazardly attributing it to COVID-19. Um, okay, I mean, like, that's, like, that's part of, like, political organization is, like, creating watch lists of politicians that aren't doing what you want them to do. Like, that's, like, one of the backbones of politically politically organizing. Um, as well, spreading misinformation that boards are adopting critical race theory. Like I said before, the NSBA is lying about, you know, not critical race theory, so I have no reason to assume they'd be telling the truth now. And then working to maintain online learning by haphazardly attributing it to COVID nineteen—that's just true. That's just that's just a flat out like truth. That is what's happening. Um, obviously, all across you know the world, a lot of other schools have still been going to school. It's the U.S. that shut down their schools so severely and so completely. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's true. That's a fair claim. Next, we have in Ohio, an individual mailed a letter to a school board member labeling the return address on the envelope from a local neighborhood association, and then enclosing threatening hate mail from another entity. This correspondence states that we are coming after you and all the members on the Board of Education. Okay, yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. You should not just say, like, we're coming for you. That's just a threat. That's not political advocacy. That's just threats. Um, The hate mail also says... You are forcing them to wear masks for no reason in this world other than control and you will pay dearly. Um pay dearly, um does sound pretty threatening. But forcing to wear masks for no reason other than control is uh is pretty clear, pretty clearly true. Um kids basically don't get covid at all. Look at the numbers, especially look at the numbers for kids that don't have comorbidities. It's pretty much nil. Um so that's 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 really true. Um, among other incendiaries, the same threat also called the school. I also want to say, among other incendiaries, and they're using incendiaries in the term to say like inflammatory words. The fact that incendiaries also um refers to like explosives. It's that like guilty by association thing I was talking about earlier, where it's just more propaganda by using that word specifically to make you think of like bombs and explosives to associate them with domestic terrorism. But that same thread also calls the school board member a filthy traitor, which is which is normal. That's like a normal thing to say to politicians. Implies loss of pension funds. Um, that I, did that mean like he's not paying taxes so you can't get your pension, or that you should be deprived of your pension? Also, like traitors should lose their pension if you truly think they're traitors. That's just a logical conclusion. Um, and labels the school board as Marxist. Um, they might be. It doesn't the. the this, this letter doesn't ref, refute that the school board is Marxist. It just says the guy claims they're Marxist, which they might be, um, especially if they're adopting CRT. Earlier this month, a student in Tennessee was mocked during a board meeting for advocating mass in schools after testifying that his grandmother, who was an educator, died because of COVID-19. Yeah, you, you shouldn't mock people who had people die. Um, but at the same time, uh, mocking someone Whose family member died does not constitute the full-blown, the full-blown like investigation by the federal government. Those things are not on par with each other at all. So that's that's a bit insane. Okay. Earlier this month, a student in Tennessee was mocked during a board meeting. Oh wait, sorry, sorry, I just read that. Um, I didn't scroll down enough. Okay, these threats and acts of violence are affecting our nation's democracy at the very at very foundational levels. Causing school board members, many of whom are not paid, to resign immediately and/or discontinue their service after their respective terms. That's like the entire point. Like they're just complaining that that the that the they're just complaining. That the people that are mad are getting their way. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's like that's part of like the political pressuring. If they you want your school board to act out your will. You don't want them to not act out your will. No one says, I want the school board to do the opposite of what I want. No one says that. And so obviously, people want the school board members to resign. And so the NSBA is just complaining that the people that are upset are getting their way. They're just like, what? Um, Further, this increasing violence is a clear and present danger to civic participation in which other citizens who have been contemplating service as either an elected official or appointed school board member have reconsidered their decision. Again, the NSBA is just complaining that um, people are getting what they want. Yeah, okay. Here's one more section. It's pretty much in the final paragraph. Our children are watching the examples of the current debates, and we must encourage a positive dialogue, even with different opinions. I mean, man, this is so sanctimonious. Again, emotional appeal through children. The children are watching us, guys. Oh, brother. Yeah, yeah. The children are also watching the school boards be corrupt all the time. Normally, I mean, let's let's be real, real. Um, just <laughs> all governments corrupt, and the lo- the more local the government is, the easier it is to see the corruption firsthand. Um. And then it calls on respecting opinions of people. Like we it says like we all have to respect each other's opinion. But they don't. They don't respect other people's opinion. That's like the entire point of like why parents are mad. Because let's not let's not think this happened overnight. A bunch of parents did not just wake up and said, you know what? I'm gonna go yell at the school board. No. Parents have been fighting with the school since March of twenty twenty. Um and so literally since March of twenty twenty, parents have been upset at what the schools have been doing. And it started out with, okay, they don't really know what's going on. We'll give them some leeway. Then it was like, well, if you know, it might only be for a little, we can wear masks or be online for just a little. But now it's not letting up at all. You know, some places are even doubling down on mask mandates. Some people some places instituted mask mandates, not during the pan not during like the majority of the pandemic, but in the past three months. What? Come on now. If you didn't if you didn't have a mask mandate in summer of twenty twenty. There was no reason to have a mask mandate past that. Um. So yeah, so let's not pretend this happened overnight. Let's not pretend that all of a sudden these parents woke up and decided to be angry. So that's that's the letter. That's that's the letter that the NSBA sent out. But like I said before, there was also then some confliction about whether or not this was like official government policy or not. Okay. So this is where it gets kind of interesting. So the Attorney General Merrick Garland, Merrick, not Merit, Merrick Garland, sent out a Department of Justice memo, and I'm going to read it to you because it's very short. Okay, that's how it goes. In recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate about policy matters is, is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Well, one, they say threats against public servants are illegal, but threats in general are illegal. They could just say threats in general are illegal, but no, they say threats to public servants are illegal. This illustrates their frame of mind. They don't have issue with being threatened. They have issue when you threaten their sanctified and saintly public officials, who are so, so, um, I don't know the quite the right word, but so wonderfully instituting all this government mandates. You know, we can't. No, no country bumpkin can, can insult um our great, wonderful public servants. No, no, no. But regular people, they can be threatened all the time. We don't care about that. Anyway, those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education and a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. The department takes these incidents seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when appropriate. Um... In the coming days, the department will announce a series of measures designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Um. So yeah, this is literally Merrick Garland saying that DOJ is going to do what the NSBA wanted. He said, you know what? The NSBA, I agree with them. We're going to start investigating these parents at school board meetings, essentially. So now the next paragraph is coordination and partnership with local law enforcement Is critical to implementing these measures for the benefit of our nation's nearly 14,000 public school districts. To this end, I am directing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, working with each United States attorney, to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal jurisdiction, each federal district, within 30 days of the issuance of this memorandum. So this memorandum isn't just like, "Hey guys, we're going to start working more." This is a directive direct issue, saying that each U.S. attorney, all of them across the U.S., have to have a meeting within 30 days with local officials. I mean, wow! The NSBA sorry, sorry, uh, the NSBA sends a letter, and Merrick Garland, you know, comes running. Um, within, I mean, this is direct action. Um, he, In 30 days, basically in a month, Every single locality in the U.S. will have a meeting regarding parents being domestic terror threats. All of them. Wow, that's insane. Every every U.S. attorney will have to have a meeting where they say, yep, these parents are domestic terror threats and we want to deal with them. Come on now. The, the, the memo continues. These meetings will facilitate the discussion of strategies for addressing threats against school administrators, school board members, teachers, and staff, and will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. So they're creating infrastructure within these agencies to handle, um, basically, parents at school board meetings. Again, just, just more bureaucracy, more positions that have to be filled, more jobs to be done, when these jobs could literally just be handled on, on a state level, like normal. They could be handled like normal threats, reported to the local police. But instead, no, they had to be federalized because of the sanctimony of, our public servants. Oh, brother. Um, it ends with, the department is steadfast in its commitment to protect all people in the United States from violence, threats of violence, and other forms of intimidation and harassment. So that was the letter from Merrick Garland. Yeah. However, though, since that, the NSBA have apologized for their letter. Okay. Okay. They apologize for the letter. But that means nothing for two reasons. One, the DOJ memo is already sent out. Something's already being done about it. You can't, you know, that's the thing with, like, knowledge and wording, that once it's out there, you can't actually retract it. I mean, you, you remember in, I guess it, only if you're pretty, not pretty young, but if, as long as you're, I don't know, I don't know how young. I'm 18, so that tells you how young I am. But if you've been in high school um, with the Internet, you know, you remember being told that, like, remember, guys, the things you say are out there forever. They can never be taken back. Even not, not even with the internet. The things you say to people can never be taken back. You can't unsay something. People still know that you said it, you know? And so people know what the NSBA is thinking. Um, Merrick Garland already sent out the memo. They're already having meetings all across the entire U.S. Let me be clear. Not just, like, California and New York. No, every U.S. attorney in the nation will have a meeting within 30 days about this come on now um as well so when the damage is pretty much already done from the nsba as well the retraction always garners less news no matter what it is retraction of anything always gets less less press and so everyone basically the public tends to operate without knowledge that the retraction happened and so for a bunch of people the nsba never retracted the letter They just sent out that letter. They never retracted it. It's still there. That's important to know about when media, when players in politics and power do things. The retraction always gets less news, and if you retract it, you can say, oh, you can can basically save face by retracting, but still get the point out that you wanted to get out. Okay. So, still keeping on with the theme of domestic terror threats. On Thursday, Joe Biden said that the intelligence community says, okay, let me just say that again. Joe Biden says the intelligent community says that domestic terror threats are the biggest threat facing the US. Wow. <laughs> That's the biggest threat? Not not even coronavirus. If you mind, this is Joe Biden's administration. They could just say coronavirus is the biggest threat, but no, no, no. I mean, we know how big of a threat they take coronavirus. Um, But no, no, domestic terrorism is the biggest threat facing the U.S. Um, And I think this has pretty scary implications. Um, So if the domestic terror threats are the biggest threat, then the domestic terror threats must also be bigger than the foreign terror threats. And how do we deal with foreign terror threats? Oh yeah, we have hundreds of military bases across the globe, are at war in numerous countries, are basically killing people on whim without trial, just indiscriminately drone-bombing people, oftentimes on bad information based on how much we just randomly kill civilians. Um, don't believe me? The U.S. aid worker we killed and seven of his kids that I covered like three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, and that's how we deal with foreign terror. Drone strikes, military invasion. And if domestic terrorism's even bigger, then how are they going to deal with that, man? What are they gonna do? Just think about that, as well, to tie into my previous um art, my previous like segment. Um, <laughs> people, parents that attend school board meetings are domestic terrorists. So the-, the the parents that go to the school board meetings are bigger threats than um like terrorists in the Middle East. Okay um and so so what do you think what do you think is going to happen to the parents then come on now i think this is a can of worms we do not want to be opening and i think it's really scary that the government's willing to say that um remember also right after january 6th when john brennan came out and basically said hey guys anyone who's not fully supportive of the government is the domestic terrorists they're domestic terror threats Let's face it, no one's supportive of the government. Everyone hates the government. And before you say, oh no, I love the government. Do you want the government to change? You hate the government. Come on now, we all hate the government. We all want drastic change in the government. Anyone who thinks, wow, the system we have right now is perfect and I love it. You tell them to go see a psychologist because there's something wrong with their head. Um. So yeah. So that's that. Okay. Back to some, I guess not so dreadful political news but also dreadful but also not dreadful because it's not passing so far um so on wednesday the senate republicans blocked a voting reform bill so um at the beginning of the 117th congress no we're on the 18th i think no we have to we're we're on an odd number because it was after an election year right after our presidential election so it's the 100th and 17th yeah I'm pretty sure it's 17. Irregardless, my apologies for rambling. Um. At, at the start of this congressional term, they first tried to pass the For the People Act, which was this very, very robust, basically voting reform bill that not even um, Joe Manchin supported. Um. Also, honestly, um, a lot of other Democrats also did not support it. I'm 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 gonna wait. Let me just take a break to tell you guys this. Joe Manchin is always in the news not supporting a specific bill that the Democrats are pushing. And they're making it out to be like he's the only one not supporting it. But the truth of the matter is that he's the only one publicly not supporting it. There are a lot of other Democrats also not supporting these bills. They just can't go out in public saying they aren't supporting them because they'll get walloped in primaries and essentially like lose their primaries. And they're scared of the Democratic establishment. Joe Manchin is the only one willing to stick up to the Democratic establishment and say, you know what, no, I don't support these bills. Uh, and this is definitely true with um, the reconciliation bill, especially especially when it came out and was $6 trillion due to Bernie Sanders' dream plan. When it was $6 trillion, there were a, a lot of um, Democrats that did not want to vote for it. But they, they were scared to not vote for it. Wait, they didn't want to vote for it, but they were scared to not vote for it because of the political implications and ramifications. So Joe Manchin is also, in a way, running cover. You know, they, these Democrats don't have to come out opposing it because Joe Bi- Joe Manchin's preventing it from passing anyway. And you sort of saw this in the previous, the American Rescue Plan. That was the COVID relief bill done by um, the Democrats in reconciliation after the election when they were trying to put them in the minimum wage. Um, and basically, what was it? It was Manchin, Cinema. I'm pretty sure both the senators from Delaware and both the senators from, from Connecticut they didn't vote for it. Delaware and Connecticut are both business-oriented states; they don't want a $15 minimum wage. Um, but irregardless. so as I was coming, so what I was beginning to say is, there was the For the People Voting Act, which Joe Manchin and a bunch of other Democrats did support. Then there was what, actually, what Joe Manchin was trying to get, um, and to get Republicans to come on with him was the John Lewis Voting, John Lewis. Voting Rights Act, which I guess now also um, failed. I kind of missed that one, not gonna lie. Um, so now they're trying to get the Freedom to Vote Act passed, um, and so here's some stuff that's in it. And, and first, 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 I want to say that I tried to find a summary of what's in this, and I could only get vagaries about what was in here. I couldn't actually get like hard answers. I actually had to go and like pull up the bill and like skim through it and stuff. Um, and so I apologize. I probably could have done a better job researching what was in the bill, but at the same time, unless you go read the bill yourself, it's probably the best summary you're gonna get, because I couldn't find that good of a summary anywhere either. So anyway, so here's what's in the bill. Um, It makes Election Day a national holiday, which I'm not gonna lie, I, I kind of support. It is a national election most of the time, so I don't know why we couldn't have a national holiday for it. Um, Though at the same time, you know, it is safe to do control voting, so States could, states could make it a statewide holiday. Nothing's stopping them from doing that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it also um, mandates any excuse mail voting. Um, it institutes standards for states that require voter ID. So it doesn't ban voter ID and it doesn't restrict voter ID. Well, it, it doesn't ban voter ID and it doesn't mandate voter ID. However, it does put some like limits and qualifications on what it takes for a state to have a voter ID law um which i don't think is the federal government's purview um it also has disclosures for who runs ads um specifically like i guess in the ad cuz i mean all ads pretty much have to because you see who buys the ad you know so i guess they mean disclosures on the ads but at the same time with that being said like if you just say the name who it's paid for i mean it's not going to be like racist in americas paid for this ad no you're just going to name your like organization something innocuous like um we love america fund or americans for a brighter future fund i like let's be be honest here i don't know how much that will do um though i mean like obviously i do think there should be transparency in who's buying ads you shouldn't have ads like we have no clue who bought this ad i think that's important to know but at the same time i don't know how, how helpful it's gonna actually be um there are attempts to stop gerrymandering I, I didn't quite see exactly where that was in the bill so i'm sorry i can't elaborate further um also in the bill there's automatic voter registration by the dmv um why people move um like and also you 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 get your license at 16 so what they register for you at 16 because they then have to wait 2 years and like you move in those 2 years so you have to still register anyway and i just I feel like it's not the DMV's place. I mean, the DMV is slow, sucks, and inefficient. And you want to give them another job to do? My God, it, if someone sucks at their job, why would you say give them another job? No, you say they can't even do what they're doing in the first place. Why would I give them more to do? It also mandates online registration. Um, I mean, on this day and age, this day and age, every you should be able to register online. Um, but at the same time, like I don't think this federal government should be mandating that at all. Leave it to the states, leave it to the counties. Um, but on a personal level, like I would like to see all the states and counties move towards an online registration system. I'm sorry. Um, it also um, mandates same-day registration. Um, again, I would. I, I, I don't see why you can't register the same day, um, other than just it's hard on the paperwork. But also, like it's your right to vote. Um, and so you know what? if I didn't register beforehand, I, I should be able to register the same day and just just vote. I mean, like what? if it just seems so arbitrary, especially because there's different registration times, so like, oh, I didn't register two weeks before the election, and therefore I don't get to vote. I mean, that seems silly. Um, and like obviously, you can't vote past the election. like you can't vote the day after the election. like that that seems fair and reasonable but why is that you can't vote after two weeks before the election? I mean, like, the election's the election day, you know? Um, anyway, um, it also, this is going to be a more controversial thing. Here we go. Early voting must start 15 days before the election and cannot end earlier than two days before. It's like two weeks of early voting. It must be 10 hours each day. 10 hours each day. Must be before 9 a.m. and after five PM. Geez, that's just like the work day. Um who are you who are you gonna get these be these pool workers, guys? People have jobs. Pull workers are normally volunteers that take off just one day. Um as well, I don't know about other states, but here in PA, um you get paid two hundred dollars to be a pool worker. And you're gonna pay the guys for all those days um just wow. That's a lot of a lot of money. And where are you gonna get these workers? Where are you gonna get them? You know, it's, there's already a pool worker shortage, and you're gonna try to find more. Whatever. Also, this this should be this should be done at a state level. There's no there's no claim for this being done at a at a federal level. This is purely subjective to. And you know, it's not even like principle, okay? <clears throat> it would be like on principle if they required like we require early voting, but no, it's so technical that it's obviously subjective. Like, why 15 days before? Why can't it be? 17 days before. 17 days before, and no more than, like, four days before. Like, ugh, come on now. It's just technical, it's subjective, um, and it's not principled, and it shouldn't be done on a federal level. Now here, here's one of the worst. So House of the Representative candidates are going to have the federal government match 600% of their small dollar donations. Gee, not just a dollar-for-dollar dollar match. 600% of their small dollar donations you give a dollar the federal government gives 6 <sighs> come on now why are why are we giving taxpayer money to candidates you're essentially forcing taxpayers to donate towards elections um and just i just i mean come on now why why are we having the federal government pay for our elections that's not right um and again overarchingly throughout the entire bill there's just more in the weeds laws for financial reporting which is just going to make it harder for non connected people to run it's going to make it harder for grassroots campaigns because all of these reporting requirements just make campaign finances so weird and hard there's the reason that like there's a particular area of like lawyering and accounting called campaign finance there's the reason there's a special section for it cuz it's so complex and so different and you want Normal people would be able to run and do this. How it's so complex, only the well connected and wealthy can do it as well. Overall, there's just a lot more money spent for you know programs and promotions and all that, it's just another money dish out to all these states. Um, as well on the bill, so it didn't pass, um, like didn't pass, pass yeah, it did not pass, um, cloture, so it got basically. Got filibustered. Um, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, um, switched his vote to no, so it was like fifty-one no, forty-nine yes. The reason he did that is now because he's in like the minority. I mean, he's in those that rejected the bill. He can now later um vote to re motion to reconsider the bill. So, it doesn't seem like this is the end of the bill yet. Maybe they're gonna, you know, maneuver around more. Honestly, this bill could probably end up getting passed if they checked out. The H, the House of Representative donations and the early voting requirements. Um, so there the probably is a future for this bill if the Democrats are willing to swallow their tongue and swallow their pride and not be so stubborn. Um, though I wouldn't, I would not want this bill to be passed, any form of it, pretty much. But anyway. Okay, so the IRS, um is going to start looking, well, if they want to, look into bank accounts with $600 or more. Wow, wow, $600 or more. That's pretty much like everyone. Um, I wouldn't say everyone, but that's that's a lot of people. Um, and it says it's to make sure the wealthy pay their taxes. So I guess if you have $600 in your bank account, um, you're wealthy. Congratulations, guys, you made it. $600 in the bank man, you're starting to get that wealth tax. You know, 5% of all your wealth, all being taxed now, because you were $600 in the bank. Oh, brother. The wealthy have made way more than $600 in that bank. And, like, you know that's obviously true, because, like, people will say, like, oh, no, they're splitting it up to, like, hide it. That way it doesn't seem as big. Yeah, they're splitting up maybe into, like, tens of millions as opposed to 100 million. Or, you know, even if you want to say, like, 10 million wealthy. Maybe they're putting in 10 different banks at 1 million. If you had a million dollars and tried to put just, like, a thousand in the bank, you would need to go to a hundred different banks. No one has the ability to do that. That would just be a waste of time. The amount that you would gain from cheating on your taxes would be more than you would lose trying to, um, like, keep track of all your money everywhere. Um, So, yeah. This is this is obviously just meant to surveil all the Americans. Nothing to do about making sure the wealthy pay their taxes. This is just any excuse to surveil all Americans at all. Um. And you know what? You might say, "Oh well, I have nothing to hide with my $600 bank account, so I don't care." Dude, we're all committing tax fraud. Every single one of us is committing tax fraud, whether or not we like it or not. Um. The tax code is just too complex. Too many write-offs. Too many scenarios. Too many. Um, Vague definitions. They did a study where they gave 10 tax preppers the same exact info and they all had different numbers. Not even that half had one number and half had the other. All 10 had 10 different numbers. It doesn't matter. We're all. And, like, the tax code is not meant to be a subjective thing. It's meant to be an objective formula. So only one is the actual right. But yet, because of all the tax write off and the way they define things, it becomes objective. Because, like, oh, one thing can be defined as this write-off, or no, it can be defined as this write-off, or the definition of this is kind of vague enough that we can actually include this, but we can't include that. Um, and so, yeah, the tax code's completely subjective, and we're all committing tax fraud. We just are. Every single one of us is committing tax fraud, and that's why, one, we need to support a more simplified tax code, as well, why we don't want the government snooping in all our finances. Okay. Now we have a um I I don't know, I guess a more lighthearted story for you all. The last three were kind of downers, but here's one. So there are rumors spreading that Joe Manchin would leave the Democratic Party if he couldn't get what he wanted in the recon bill, the reconciliation bill. <clears throat> this is interesting. This was reported by Mother Jones, pretty much Mother Jones exclusively. Um, mother Jones being a news, like, I guess online news agency, not just like someone's mother. I don't know. I don't know if you guys know it it's kind of small um but just they reported it um they they this if you read the story um it seems to be well sorted it seems to be credible um as well i know, I'll just but basically the the rumor went that um Manchin would become an independent he wouldn't join the republicans but he would basically become an independent um and he would most likely still caucus with the democrats just being independent, and it was meant more to um, signal to Democrats how serious he was about this than anything. Um, but with that being said, um, Manchin denies this. He called it uh, BS. Um, however, even after Manchin called it BS, Mother Jones said, you know what, we stand by this. We think our sources are credible. So um, that's really interesting. Maybe it's meant to be kept secret as a leveraging point. You know, it was also talked about that he had been discussing with like Schumer and Biden, you know, the possibility of him exiting the party. That's just interesting. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Schumer being independent. Actually, kind of interesting, because Bernie Sanders and Angus King are both technically independents, but they caucus with with the Democrats and are pretty much Democrats. But if Manchin also became an independent, technically you'd have three independents, 47 um, Democrats and 50 Republicans. What's interesting is cuz like through that's 3% of the Senate is independent and so that's nowhere near what it is for like any other body. It's just an interesting thought. Though the 3 independents are not independent they're all just Democrats, but you know, one likes to dream. Anyway, here's an infrastructure and reconciliation bill update. Um I want to talk about the cost controversy. So the Democrats in the Biden administration have somehow been claiming that um the bill has no cost. Anyone who understands costs knows that that's just not true. Everything has a cost. You can't say something is cost-free. They're abusing the word cost. They really are. They're trying to reform the language. This is, just, this is something I talk about a lot, is that Democrats and leftists are in the business of trying very hard to manipulate the language in order for it to basically favor them and construct reality in the way they want. That's just another example. So the administration says that the bill has no cost because it doesn't add to the deficit because it's all paid for. (laughs) That's not true. Okay, listen, everything they do adds to the deficit. It really does. Their tax increases aren't going to cover it. They always overestimate because it looks good for them politically and it lets them justify passing it. Um, so the the tax increases is overestimated as well. The costs are underestimated. The costs are always underestimated. Um, everything always ends up costing more, and they just approve it, because, you know, why wouldn't they? They just want it done. Um, as well, they're currently negotiating the tax cuts out of it. Like, they're currently negotiating, like, how many, I mean, not tax cuts, the tax increases. They might negotiate some of the tax increases out, so then it definitely, like, will not be all covered. Um, the claim that, that it doesn't add the deficit is just wrong. As well, even if it didn't add the deficit, it would still have a a cost. You just happen to have the funds to cover it, you know what I mean? Like, the cost of the bill is the cost of the bill. Just because you raise the money, like, then you, it just it still costs that money, okay? You just happen to have the money instead of having to borrow it. When it comes to cost, there's no difference between borrowing and just raising the funds elsewise. Um, so Um, for example, like, the cost might be whatever is discouraged from the increase in taxes. As well, like, if you understand opportunity cost, you know, the cost is also what else you could have done with that money you know so if you have let's say you just have three trillion lying around the cost of the bill is not nothing the cost of the three trillion but it's also the cost of what else you could have done used with that three trillion the best way to illustrate this is let's say to pay for it they stopped funding program x and they use the funding from program x to fund the the reconciliation bill It'd be very obvious to say, yeah, the cost of the reconciliation bill was Program X. We had to give up Program X to get the reconciliation bill. So, like, that's the cost. So the claim that there's no cost in the reconciliation bill is propaganda put on by the government. So I just wanted you all to know that. Okay. So on Thursday, the Federal Reserve reformed their ethics and rules for investments. This is in response to the Dallas and Boston Fed shares who were insider trading. Um, so now with the new rules, Fed officials can only invest in diversified investments like ETFs and mutual funds, um, which is um, like, I don't know, that's pretty big. You know, before they could buy individual stocks they thought would do good or bad. Um, so now with buying ETFs and mutual funds, they sort of weakened them. But at the same time, um, like you can buy ETFs to entire industries. And so that kind of, you know, there definitely still is that room for abuse when you know entire industries. As well, when you deal with the Fed, you don't really deal with benefiting one industry or one company over another. You deal with the entire economy. So you can still you get like an ETF of like the um, S&P or the Dow Jones. I mean, you can still like essentially insider trade on it anyway, because you're crafting the policy. But there are still some more rules with that anyway that I didn't get into. So maybe they deal with that, but probably not super as much. But as well, um, Just based from what I was listening to about it, they they seem to be robust rules. um, And that's definitely an improvement to not have them investing in individual stocks. Okay, so now in the news of booster shots, um, the booster shots are now approved for all vaccines. So Moderna and Pfizer have the same recommendations. As well, the Johnson & Johnson is recommended for everyone 18 and up. So the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are recommended for, you know. Sixty-five and up, or eighteen and up, and you have um like other conditions that make you susceptible to COVID. But J and J is just for everyone eighteen up. (laughs) Okay, is admittance that Johnson and Johnson is better, or it admits that it's safer? Because if everyone can get the Johnson and Johnson, but not everyone can get the Moderna and Pfizer, I mean, obviously, then you know when they when they calculate whether or not they should approve it, they basically do a cost benefit analysis. So either the cost to the J and J is less or the benefit is greater. Um, which translates into either it's a better shot or it's a safer vaccine. So which are they going to admit? I don't think they're going to admit to either, but still questions. Do you have to ask when they do actions? Cause actions don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in like response to things. Yeah. Anyway, here's some other news. Um, Trump is suing the committee on January 6th to prevent the release of certain documents. Um, yeah, that's to be expected. There's a whole controversy um, regarding it <laughs> regarding January 6th and regarding you know what's going to be released, what isn't. Uh, the Biden administration released a bunch of like previous communications. Um, but at the same time there are other officials like Steve Bannon who are just refusing. To submit to subpoenas, I believe Steve Bannon also just got um voted in like out in contempt of Congress by Congress, so that's also to be noted. Anyway, that's I guess most of the political news for the day. Only only one sixteen, kind of sad. Either way, we have some economic news. Time to go through some economic indicators. <clears throat> so um, the industrial production year over year for September, um was up 4.6 percent nice um the previous was up 5.7 percent so take down a little but still still good the industrial production um for months over months for September um is down it's actually down 1.3 percent which um, is sad to see that industrial production ticked down from the previous month but it might also just ebb and flow with time that might be a normal ebb and flow I don't know anyway. Um, manufacturing production month over month, um, is down 0.7%. It was down 0.4 the month before, so I guess we see some decreasing um manufacturing production. Capacity utilization is um 75.2%. Let me let me look at this. Is this up or Is this just like the utilization? Okay, yeah, this is just so. Okay. Utilizate, so, capacity utilization is just at 75.2%. Previously, it was at 76.2%, so it went down a little bit. Um, But I would, I'd be interested to see what it was like at this. How long ago? Let me, let me, let me click this indicator and see how long ago. Okay, now this seems to be the normal range of it. Okay. Manufacturing production year over year. So, we did month over month. Now it's year over year. It's four point eight percent. It was up five point six percent the month before. So yeah, good, nice. Um. Okay, here oh, housing starts for September. Nice. these are houses that are being started. 1.555 million. It is down a little from previously, which was at 1.58 million. As well, the consensus was 1.62 million, so people thought it was going to go up, but it actually went down. That is not a good sign at all. Building permits are at 1.589. The previous was 1.721 million, so it went down. Consensus was at 1.68 million, so people did think it was going to go down, but not by as much as it did, by about um, 0.1 million more. Holy cow. Building permits. Percentage wise month over month for September, they're down seven point seven percent. Previously they were down they were up. Previously they were up five point six percent. As well, housing starts month over month are down one point six percent. They were previously up one point two. Um right now the MBA thirty year mortgage rate for the week of October fifteenth is at three point two three percent, up from three point eighteen percent. So we, we still see that mortgage rate clicking upwards. Um Mortgage applications down six point three percent. The previous month, previous week, they were um, at point two percent. So mortgage applications are starting to tick down, which I think is probably to be expected with rates rising, housing prices through the roof. Seeing more mortgage applications going down is normal. Um, initial jobless claims for the week of October sixteenth are um, two. Ah two hundred and ninety thousand. That's down a bit from previously where it was at two hundred and ninety six thousand. Oh people thought it was gonna be three hundred thousand. So people thought it was gonna go up, but it actually ticked down. So that's that's a good sign. As well the jobless claims for the four week average are um three hundred and twenty thousand, which is nice. Previously with three hundred and thirty five thousand, that's a nice size decrease. Continuing jobless claims are at two hundred Two point five million before they were at two point six million. That's a nice decrease. Before the consensus was two point five five million, so it beat expectations. That's great. That's good to see. Um existing home sales month over month are up seven percent. Previously they were down two percent, so that's interesting to see. Existing home sales um for September, oh we're at six point two nine million. Um and previously was at five point eight eight million, so we see hand more houses changing hands. So I guess if okay, that is interesting. Alright everyone, thank you very much for tuning in. This has been Here's the Issue with me, Reese. See you guys next week.